Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Holistic health is an approach to life that emphasizes connection of the mind, body, and spirit with the goal of achieving optimal functioning and maximum well-being. Taking a holistic approach to caring for older adults means that treatment plans revolve around the whole person, not just their physical diagnosis. Today, my guest is Dr. Richard Hilburn, a physician who specializes in internal medicine and geriatrics. He will explain basic components of holistic health care and how it can be used to assess health care needs of older adults. He'll also describe health care providers who provide holistic health care and different approaches and treatments they may recommend for their older patients. So welcome, Dr. Hilburn, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. Well, Dr. Hilburn, I wanted to get a little bit more information from you regarding holistic health care. I gave kind of a generic definition in my introduction, but I am sure it's much broader than that. So can you provide more information uh, about holistic health care? Thank you, Cheryl. Um, the uh, capsule definition that you provided is actually very good. Uh, it, it is an um, uh, alternative regarded as alternative uh, practice model. Um, but I think more and more, it's a, a mainstream um, as allopathy and osteopathy embrace more of the holistic principles. And we can, I'll come back to that perhaps later. Um, I think to add to what you already said uh, would be uh, that holistic medicine uh, places a strong emphasis on uh, patients participating in their own health care, uh, the process uh, and the planning and so forth. Practitioners of uh, holistic medicine uh, are more oriented to a collaborative approach to health care in which the uh, patient uh, gains an understanding of what their situation is, and maybe even the pathophysiology that's going on. And uh, they participate in the construction of a care plan, uh, which includes selection of the different uh, caregivers and support organizations and, uh, and uh, that they will draw upon. Uh, so it's a, it's a little bit less directive and more inclusive of the patient. Uh, I think that's a major feature of um, of holistic uh, medicine, in addition to what you said, the whole person, uh, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. Thank you. That's a great segue into what the various components are when you're talking and seeing a patient. So let's kind of drill down a little bit and talk about like the physical well-being how does holistic health care help improve the physical well-being for an older adult? Sure. Um, well, as you can tell by what I just said, um, the educating the patient and enlisting them uh, is really 
self-care providers. So they're uh, another member, another provider in the team is the patient themselves. <clears throat> and uh, so in that light, um, what you mentioned in regards to physical health, uh, regular physical activity, proper nutrition, uh, adequate uh, rest and sleep, avoiding risky behaviors, um, regular medical checkups. Uh, those are uh, activities that, that all lie with the patient. You know, it's nothing there that the doctor is going to do it's that, uh, other than uh, advise, counsel, coach, and encourage and be supportive. But all of those are action steps that uh, depend entirely upon the patient as a self-care giver. Okay, and and that's very helpful. And I would assume that another part would be the the social well-being of the individual. And I'm just thinking some of the examples that you gave in connection with physical well-being, like exercise and that, could also uh, involve the social aspect of of the patient. Is that correct? Talk a little bit more about what does that mean, the social well-being of an older adult. Absolutely, Cheryl. Social well-being is really uh, one of the foundational pieces of uh, approach to holistic care. The uh, evaluation of the patient's support system, their relationship with family and friends, and uh, individuals that play a role as caregivers that become part of their uh, social uh, circle as well. Uh, is, uh, the emotional and mental well-being of the patient depends upon as well as defines their social well-being. And uh, it, we'll get into here shortly some um, the comments about uh, caregivers and uh, living environments and so forth that are part of this as well. But they, I guess when I think about the social structure of uh, a patient's life and I think about the social structure of my own life as an example as well, that immediately what comes to my mind is friends and family, but it's also uh, it needs to be inclusive of my community my neighborhood first, my community second, and even uh, a larger sense uh, because things like county area agencies on aging and so forth contribute to that social milieu as well. Um, am I answering this? <laughs> yes, and in fact, that, and you, you mentioned it already, and you could even expand a little bit by that. I mean, the emotional and mental health. I mean, I'm thinking particularly during COVID, how people were isolated. And so that increased, and it's still a factor for older adults in terms of loneliness, and uh, which of course leads to depression and this kind of thing. So I'm assuming that as a holistic physician, you take into account what the mental health is and and the emotional status of your patients are as you think about, again, the whole patient and wellness. Is that correct? 
Absolutely. In fact, there's a little segue on what you just tied together. The emotional being and mental well-being are uh, interrelated. And um, so I might say emotional well-being uh, refers to, you know, technically it refers to the ability to recognize and handle or express my emotions in healthy ways, constructive ways. Um, and a holistic approach, we try to help people to uh, get in tune with uh, their emotions, to recognize what they're feeling uh, for what it truly is and uh, experience it uh, at its roots and uh, so they can share it. And if it's distressing, uh, get help with their within their social circle or their provider caregiver circle. Um, and, and mental uh, well-being refers more to a state of functioning uh, in almost a didactic sense. Uh, cognitive uh, functions like thinking, learning, problem solving, and remembering, and so forth. <clears throat> and uh, what you alluded to, um, I'll point out now, uh, a there are many, but this is the key one in relationship between emotional health and mental health. Uh, if I'm doing, um, if I'm seeing a patient with concerns about uh, the cognitive decline, uh, and uh, there is any um, depression, not, it doesn't have to be major depression. It could be situational or. Uh, reaction and, uh, to the loss of someone, you know, a temporary uh, but significant depression. Uh, you cannot use any of the objective cognitive assessment tests uh, on a patient who's depressed because the results are unreliable and they're uh, radically altered by their emotional state. Um, and so those are two com key components really to um, spiritual health and, uh, and the three together, uh, along with one's physical welfare, that's, that's, that's the rest of the foundation for the uh, social health to which we referred uh, a moment ago. And talk a little bit more about that. I mean, I'm thinking about spiritual and so many different factors, perhaps some affiliation with a some type of a, a religious uh, a community where they, again, get support, whether it be their church or synagogue, but just their own philosophy in terms of life. So I would assume that spiritual well-being is a very important aspect depending on the status of the um, older adult uh, patient that you're seeing. Is, is that true? Yes, it is. Although my perspective on what spiritual health means is a little bit different uh, from the way we would frame it in colloquial conversation. Uh, usually when we talk about um, spiritual engagements, it's exactly those things that you uh, pointed out. You know, do you person participate in the synagogue or the church or the mosque? Or, um, the religious or at least theological orientation and, uh, and how they're engaged with that, uh, whether it's uh, obviously somebody who attends uh, something like that in person gets more of a social 
uh, it's more of a socially enriching experience, perhaps. And that uh, when I'm thinking in terms of holistic health, uh, the way I look at the spiritual aspect, the spiritual health, is um, about a patient's beliefs uh, in a broader sense than just what they might get uh, from their religious perspective. Uh, and, and I don't think, you know, some people might be offended by me saying that. I don't mean to say that the religion, uh, a person's religion doesn't provide all the uh, orientation and uh, moral base that they need. That may be, but then again, it may not. Uh, but whether it's from religion or not, uh, the spiritual health is really it's about how uh, a person feels about themselves uh, and the way in their lives do they feel like they're having a, a fulfilling, meaningful life. Um, and uh, what is their sense, their overall sense of well-being? Those are uh, that's the kind of spiritual perspective that I uh, really try to focus on. And, and of course, that protects me from making any uh, mistakes with, you know, denominational uh, this or that. Well, and, and thank you. And this, uh, what you just said in terms of all of these four, physical and social and emotional and spiritual, it, it appears that it's it's correct then to say that holistic health care means providing support that looks at the whole person. And I'm wondering, when you see patients in your role as a physician who practices holistic health care, how do you, when you see a, a, a patient for the first time or even multiple times, what what's your approach? How do you find out what the status is of this individual then on all these levels? That is an excellent question, Cheryl. Thank you for that question. The, the two equal starting points, there are, there are two components of the starting point, uh, I guess. Uh, one is what is the patient's current state of health? And uh, secondly, what are their goals of care? And what you're addressing really is what are their goals of care? Uh, and uh, in uh, tr the traditional classic medicine, as we think of it, um, very often uh, phys physicians just assume what the patient's goals of care are. Uh, if I go to uh, see my internal medicine doctor because I have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and heart disease, uh, it's very likely that my internist is just going to assume uh, that my goals are to control my blood pressure, my cholesterol, so that my heart disease doesn't get worse, or maybe even gets better. And, um, but uh, that's not necessarily so in the holistic approach. Uh, I'm really going to try and understand what is the patient's goals of care. And certainly they might want to improve those things and do better, but what's the real goal? It's to feel better. It's to be able to be more active. It's to be able to uh, be free of symptoms. It's uh, to be able to have 
to optimize the quality of life that they are going to live, whether that's long or short. Uh, and so that perspective on goals is, is a bit different. Now, I can go down a little bulletized list and say, well, uh, in uh, holistic medicine, where I'm going to try to um, always consider the full range of physical, emotional, spiritual, uh, mental health concerns, I might zero in on uh, chronic pain, for example. That that might be a, uh, and that is an area where uh, many many people go to a holistic provider in the first place because they suffer from chronic pain or digestive health. That's a another area that uh, draws a lot of people to holistic uh, care. Um, and stress management, and I I should put under under that uh, anxiety, uh, problems with anxiety and insomnia, and uh, even frank clinical depression and so forth. Uh, very often, uh, traditional medical providers become quite frustrated um, because the medications they have to prescribe uh, don't work as well as they had hoped. Uh, and or perhaps the patient uh, can't find a therapist with whom they click, uh, or perhaps there aren't any therapists around that take insurance. It actually is extremely difficult uh, to find a therapist that, that takes insurance, especially Medicare. Um, so and the, the classic practitioner winds up saying, well, uh, why don't you try this acupuncture or this meditation or yoga or something like that. <clears throat> and it, not that that practitioner has any particular expertise or insight about any of those things, unless perhaps they participate themselves. <clears throat> but they know that the holistic provider community does um, promote that sort of thing and encourage it. And that uh, they usually are well connected to uh, experts in the community that uh, provide those sorts of expertise. Um, I, don't, I hope I answered your question. Yes, and in fact, and thank you, and that's a good segue into when you are seeing your patients, are there other disciplines that you get in touch with? You you mentioned about somebody kind of offhandedly saying yoga or acupuncture or whatever, but in your practice as a holistic uh, healthcare practitioner, do you make a conscientious effort? Do you have other contacts or do you know of different um, disciplines that might help a particular patient depending on what part of their well-being is affected, whether it's, again, one of these four, the physical or social or emotional, that you refer these folks to um, in some way? I pay so much attention to that sort of thing that it heavily influenced my choice of office location, which I'll touch on. But to answer your question directly, that uh, holistic health can incorporate a whole range of alternative uh, therapies. Uh, we mentioned acupuncture and um, yoga, but um, massage therapy, um, uh, 
meditation coaching, herbal medicine. Um, some people consider chiropractic to, to be a part of that. Um, it, it's sort of variable to my mind, uh, but um, nutritionists uh, and registered dietitians, there's a, a little bit of a difference between the two. Um, uh, it is spiritualists uh, that are uh, more uh, or, uh, about an approach such as I described rather than religious, uh, but also the uh, spiritual leaders that are leaders of our uh, religious resources in the community. And, and uh, therapy, um, I mentioned yoga, but I want to flash back for a minute. Tai Chi is actually one of the more studied um, disciplines that, that there's really, really good data about Tai Chi decreasing falls and uh, even helping mental well-being and so forth. Uh, I mentioned aromatherapy. I'm, I'm not really uh, strongly on board with that. Um, in terms of, I'm not sure it really does anything uh, directly to the physiology, but um, there's something about aromatherapy that just gives, can give, or may give, I should say, um, a patient a feeling of, a, a better feeling of, of, of um, wellness. Uh, if you, uh, you know, during the, uh, Holiday season, the winter holiday season, a lot of people have mulling spices uh, boiling on the stove in the kitchen, and it puts this wonderful scent of uh, cinnamon and pine and so forth in the room, and it just makes you feel nicer, uh, a little better. Or you may uh, use something like eucalyptus and menthol for uh, around the nasal passages when you have a bad cold. I'm not so sure it does anything to shorten the cold, but well, I sure feel better when I'm using it. So even aromatherapy, you know. Okay. Well, you've given us an excellent overview so far of what holistic uh, healthcare is and uh, what the components are and what the possible treatments are. And we're going to talk more about that in the second half of the interview. But we're going to take a short break right now in case you tuned in late. Just wanted to let you know that we're talking with Dr. Richard Hilborn, who is a physician who specializes in internal medicine and geriatrics and practices holistic health care. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Our topic today is holistic health care, and our guest is Dr. Richard Hilburn, a physician who specializes in internal medicine and geriatrics. And 
And Dr. Hilburn, we got a nice overview about holistic health care before, but of course, everything always has not only benefits, but perhaps some disadvantages. So before we get into how you use this to treat older adults, can you share with our listeners what the dis- disadvantages to relying solely on holistic health care as a treatment might be? Sure. Um, and I, I am a bit prejudiced, uh, I suppose, because uh, I'm trained as an allopathic physician um, and I worked my entire career uh, a very great deal with osteopaths. There's not much difference between uh, the two nowadays, but um, I didn't until a few years ago uh, realize how much in the direction of holistic model of healthcare I, I myself had gone. But, um, and one of the, the reasons I guess I wasn't more uh, enthusiastic and quick about picking it up uh, is that I was a bit distrustful uh, of uh, things that were uh, labeled as holistic. And, and um, frankly, for good reason. Um, there, for uh, an allopathic physician or an osteopathic physician or a chiropractor even, um, there are codified um, uh, educational uh, gates through which one must pass. There are specific certification uh, examinations that one must pass. There are specific licensure requirements that uh, one must uh, meet. And uh, if you're, if a provider is going to build insurance or participate participate in healthcare plans, they almost always uh, have yet another layer of uh, scrutiny and certification they have to go through. And none of that's true for somebody that uh, hangs a shingle as a holistic provider. Now, there are some uh, national and even international um, guilds, professional guilds for holistic providers. And it's certainly worth uh, looking for that sort of um, uh, market participation when one is selecting uh you know, looking for someone just for the holistic end. And, but one of the dangers of, uh, is that uh, if someone doesn't do that due diligence, and then you're uh, missing out on the benefit and the protection for whatever it's worth that, the, that our um, uh, community and political system provides us by requiring certain didactic uh, gates and uh, licensure gates and so forth. And even the malpractice insurance companies uh, provide us some of that protection and credentialing bodies and hospitals and so forth that go through um, the uh, qualifications of people who want to be on staff and so forth. So I think, in other words, do you really know is the provider that's declaring themselves to be uh, a healthcare provider, a holistic or otherwise, how do you know that they're really qualified? Well, honestly, most people 
wouldn't have a clue as to how to make that assessment. They might discover it over time by subscribing to the services of the doctor that they, they were good or not good. And, but um, other than by personal experience or that of a friend or family member, there's not much reference for them. You can go online and see uh, healthcare provider ratings and so forth, but none of those are reliable. Uh, those are money-making operations and uh, they capitalize on people's need to know. <clears throat> but most of the uh, folks that register commentary on those sites are either angry with the provider or they're good friends or family or you know something like that. So it's it's very hard uh, to, to know, and one reason that hospitals and healthcare systems, insurance companies, and so forth look for board certifications uh, is because that is a way of knowing that at least someone has passed through the didactic and examination gates. Uh, so, and what's the consequence of? Uh, a misstep there. Well, one might be uh, a delay in diagnosis or a greater likelihood of a misdiagnosis <laughs> and um, uh, avoiding conventional medical care uh, has potentially could be quite uh, catastrophic. Um, the uh, uh, cost uh, it then would go up and you couldn't potentially make things worse or at least allow them to get worse if uh, you're not uh, in some sort of collaborative uh, relationship with uh, traditional medical providers. But what I find to be more and more true all the time is that uh, the osteopathic and allopathic medical communities are more and more and more incorporating all things holistic into their practice models, more so in my opinion than chiropractic. It sounds like what you're saying is, is that for older adults, which is what we're talking about today, it would be possible to have a collaboration with someone who practices more the conventional healthcare practices along with a practitioner who focuses on holistic. Now I know for you, you are, um, you specialize in internal medicine and geriatrics, which are, could be considered more traditional, but you're practicing holistic. So does it occur often that there are um, sort of, as they said, collaboration or referrals of these different types of practitioners who are dealing with patients, particularly when you mentioned about if there's a serious diagnosis and maybe more traditional treatments uh, are, are required? The shorter answer is yes. Let me qualify that a little bit. I suppose about uh, 15 years ago, uh, you know, plus or minus a few, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, more and more uh, principles of holistic care uh, were finding, began finding their way into uh, traditional uh, medical education curriculum. And, and, I, and that includes the uh, postgraduate 
internship and residencies and fellowships that uh, doctors go through. <clears throat> and uh, it, it, some of it actually was more of a flashback to the way things were in the so-called good old days. And, you know, I think back a hundred years ago and a, a, a family doc uh, in a small community uh, did everything. He delivered the babies, was the pediatrician for them as they grew up, uh, provided uh, sports medicine for them through their teens and adolescents and teens, and uh, then adult medicine uh, through their adult years and into later life, he provided uh, for them uh, for their geriatric medical needs. And, and he knew them. He, he knew his patients. He knew their families. He may have taken care of their parents. You know, he went shopping at the same grocery store, got his medicines from the same pharmacy, uh, you know, went to the same YMCA to work out and all that. So uh, there, there was a, a social, uh, the social milieu of the community uh, contributed to insights that that provider already had. <clears throat> and then uh, as the medicine became much more technical, and as usually the case, uh, technology outpaces other things uh, once there's some breakthrough, it just, you know, how it takes off so much. And But things philosophical um, plot along a, a good bit more slowly. There's more of an evolution to them. And um, so I think um, the emergence of uh, high-tech advances in uh, radiology and surgery uh, and uh, the mapping of the human genome and so forth, those things radically off altered uh, what we know and what we're able to do. And, and there was so much energy and enthusiasm and money and excitement about these things that uh, it changed the way medicine looked. It changed the way medicine was practiced. It also changed the environment into a reliance upon big institutions or well-financed institutions and so forth, and, and which, which is what predominates our traditional medical landscape today is that sort of thing. What I'm hearing you say is, is that there are instances where collaboration between conventional healthcare practices and complementary approaches are appropriate, particularly, as I said, for older adults. And I think that whereas from what I'm hearing you say is that medicine has become so, and healthcare has become so much more specialized, that might be true for younger patients but as we get older, again, there are so many complicating factors which affect an older adult that applying that holistic approach can be helpful. Yeah, thanks for getting me back on track there. I, um, where I was trying to go was the loss of uh, the holism that was naturally there that we never gave a thought to. And, and now it's coming back. It's been coming back for the last 15 or 20 years. And um, it, it, one insight that I have about that that I want to share is when I was at the Medical College of Georgia, which is an allopathic institution, 
they appointed head of the endocrinology department an osteopath. Uh, osteopathy sprang from chiropractic. And osteopathy uh, these days has the same didactic curriculum as the allopathic physicians. There's no difference. The osteopaths get a little more training uh, in their, and because their, ori their orientation is that the body's anatomy, all parts are interconnected and so forth. But that embrace of an osteopath as a department chief as a, at a major national, internationally known uh, medical school uh, was uh, game changing. And it, it was uh, the, the way things began to move uh, through the 1990s and the early 2000s and so forth. And we saw the allopathic world more and more and more uh, embrace and promote uh, uh, things that uh, had all been there all along, but uh, now they had the, the label holistic. Okay. Well, and to that point then, I wanted to address some other factors which might be included in this holistic uh, healthcare approach. One of them is caregivers. Uh, as you see your patients and you use this approach, what do you find uh, are the roles of caregivers in terms of how they're going to be involved with the older adult as they move forward? So I'd like to talk about caregivers and then also hear what your thoughts are about family members in general, not necessarily the caregivers, but could be an adult son or daughter or whatever. But how do you incorporate their role when you treat the patient using a holistic healthcare model? First off, um, the vast majority of caregivers are family members. Um, in geriatrics, uh, and most often, uh, it is at least initially, it's a spouse. Um, and uh, there may be uh, adult children involved early on, but and certainly uh, if there are uh, adult progeny, uh, sooner or later, uh, the caregiving spouse is going to need help or the caregiving spouse uh, might themselves pass away and then there's nobody else but the adult progeny. In the absence of adult progeny is another whole approach because then you have to bring in either professionals or volunteers or a mixture of the two, which is usually the case. So caregivers, as we say that, what mostly comes to our minds is somebody to help give a bed bath, help change clothes, uh, help with feedings, uh, maybe do some uh, care of the environment like light housekeeping and, uh, and maybe cooking meals in a home or delivering meals uh, uh, and de delivering medications. Uh, less often do we think of, but uh, really we need to think of more such things as massage therapy and uh, meditation coaching and uh, education, uh, um, uh, exercise coaches uh, that can specialize in what people are able to do on the bed. Uh, that uh, caregivers provide uh, 
emotional support, especially, you know, it, it, very important uh, for geriatric patients. Uh, uh, so I'm geriatric myself. I'm 73 years old. I know I'm in the declining years of my life. And, you know, if I can sit around and dwell on that, I'll become quite anxious and then I can become distressed. I can make myself not, not sleep so well at night if I linger on the downsides to this or uh, let the old arthritic joints aggravate me too much. So um, caregivers provide uh, emotional support, encouragement, uh, and uh, just the, the social interaction, the, co the collaboration of, of the caregiver as a friend um, uh, and the appreciation of what the caregiver delivers. Uh, they assist with activities of daily living. That's like uh, bathing, toileting, feeding, uh, those sorts of things are among the, the more forefront of the six activities of daily living that we medically refer to in, in a whole complete geriatric assessment. The caregiver looks after all of those things. And of course, the recipient of that care is grateful. There's an emotional sense of gratitude for that. Um, and the caregivers, uh, through what they deliver, encourage the patient to embrace healthy habits, if they're good caregivers. Uh, and they, and one of the key things that caregivers also provide is coordination of care. So uh, helping to reach into the community and find particular uh, caregivers and uh, set up appointments and you know, coordinate uh, access and so forth. Um, and there, are, uh, usually the caregivers uh, either if they're professional, they know about. If they're family, then they learn about uh, other resources that I know we'll get to. I can touch on a little more later. Okay. And the other thing I think that's helpful for our listeners to understand is what are the different settings uh, where older adults can receive holistic health care? Are the patients that you see, for example, primarily ones who are still aging in place at home or they, have they already moved to some kind of a residential care facility where they might still be independent, but maybe not? Where is holistic health care practiced? What are the different settings for older adults? Absolutely everywhere it can be. Um, and there is a distinction on one aspect of that. But uh, it, uh, holism as a philosophical approach, that can happen in the, in the dental suite. It can happen with your optometrist. It can happen uh, with your uh, medical, your traditional medical provider. It can, it can happen uh, at the YMCA or where whatever gym that you go to, you know. Uh, it, it can, uh, it, it is, as we discussed, it's just uh, a, an awareness of, an appreciation for, the whole person and all the aspects, physical, mental, emotional, physical, all of those things together. And that can happen absolutely anywhere. Uh, a few moments ago, I was trying to wax eloquent and I got lost uh, about how uh, allopathy and osteopathy have 
you really uh, not only embrace, but now, I, in my opinion, the major promoters of the holistic uh, approach to healthcare. But there's uh, a subset discipline that is actually kind of moved in the opposite direction. Uh, and that's the, the surgical specialties. Uh, and what has happened in the surgical world is they've become more and more and more and more specialized. And uh, to some extent, they have to. There's, there's really no choice. Um, the urologist uses a da Vinci robot to do prostate surgery. The um, orthopedist uses robotics to do uh, joint replacement work. The uh, ophthalmologist uses robotics to work inside the eyeball and so forth. The technical skill and the... Uh, the ability to manipulate those machines uh, is so difficult uh, and requires so much practice that that's really all that there's time to do. And, and if the person is going to have a knee replacement or uh, a shoulder replacement or they're going to have uh, uh, surgery uh, on the retina or something, they're going to seek out not just uh, like I, w I won't just look for any orthopedist. I'm going to look for an orthopedist that specializes in joint replacement. And if I find that, I mean, even one that specializes in the shoulder. If my need is the shoulder, I'm going to go for the person that does shoulders all the time. Um, and so it, but it isn't that the orthopedist uh, is ignorant about holism. And it isn't that the orthopedist doesn't care about holism. It's simply that there's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough, you know, lifetime to attend to everything. So those surgical specialists are every day relying more and more and more on the medical providers uh, to also be holistic. They're relying on... Uh, Dr. Hilburn or whoever it is, Dr. John Doe, uh, they're relying on us to make use of uh, the uh, personal trainer, the physical therapist, the uh, massage therapist, uh, uh, the uh, nutritionist to uh, get engaged. And so those things they're deferring to, to us to do because they simply don't have the time. And that's a good question. We're getting close to the end. And I just wanted to ask you one more question then is as a holistic healthcare practitioner, how do you either individually then or in association with the other practitioners that you work with, how do you determine the best uh, treatment for um, that uh, patient? Is it done just by you yourself or do you have a team approach or what works best? The best treatment is the treatment that the patient really wants. And uh, that uh, needs to be fleshed out and well-defined uh, uh, collaboratively. Uh, so what I'm talking about, again, is uh, defining the goals of care. And <clears throat> my first responsibility in that regard is to make sure that the patient is educated. Uh, I... I want to make sure that they have uh, all the information that they need to consider. And 
I want to get rid of any misinformation that they should not consider. And there's plenty of that out there. Um, and then I want to identify uh, the healthy health habits that they already have and identify the uh, unhealthy habits that they already have and kind of put that out on all out on the tabletop and then uh, identify the diagnosis under, that we're trying to talk about and what treatment options there are and uh, what various um, uh, allies and augmentations to the treatment are available at hand, which that's where you really see uh, the opportunity for uh, holistic applications. And, and, and then I collaborate with the patient and taking from that, what are your goals? You know, my goal, the patient tells me my goal is to live as long as I possibly can. I want absolutely everything done. Well, that's quite a goal. And better, and what I most often hear is, well, I want to live as long as I uh, can, feeling well and able to enjoy my environment and my family and friends. And I remember my father and his uh, passing last days, he was saying, you know, it, Life was important to him as long as there was any value to it. So it's a collaborative uh, decision. Finally, then, Dr. Hilburn, any particular resources that folks can learn more about holistic health care? Do you have a website that you want to share with um, uh, Aging Matters listeners? In Reston, Virginia, there's the Reston for a Lifetime, and there are uh, website is just restedforlifetime.com. Uh, and that's a information resource that has all kinds of things, not just a holistic agenda, but there are, are just all sorts of resources that are of use to any patient, uh, particularly adults and, and geriatrics, but really across the board. Um, there are a lot of, of books uh, that if somebody just wants to learn more about the roots of uh, some of the medical practices incorporated into holism. Uh, one book is the complete book of Ayurvedic home remedies. And another one is the healing power of mindfulness. Uh, and uh, the ultimate guide to natural health by uh, Dr. Andrew Wheel, who's a, kind of a, um, a popular figure, I guess. Uh, online re resources such as the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health and the American Holistic Health Association. Uh, communities usually have uh, classes and workshops available at the senior centers. Uh, and then talking with providers themselves. Most providers that uh, include uh, holism and their acumen are going to advertise uh, or they're going to locate that way i'm i'm co-located with uh, some holistic providers two nutritionists an herbalists compounding pharmacists and so forth and do you have a website address oh i do actually um, uh, my website which is <laughs> still under construction but it's it's up and running all right is goals of goalsofcaremd.com goalsofcaremd.com. 
And um, there's no real information about holism on that uh, other than you know, what I just described early in this program, my approach to uh, care generally and my philosophy about it. But thanks to you and this interview, uh, you've made me aware of some really important points that I'm going to add to that side. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank Dr. Richard Hilburn, a physician who specializes in internal medicine and geriatrics and holistic healthcare, for joining me today. And to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website at agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio programs that we've produced, as well as TV show content. And all of our Aging uh, Matters podcasts, you can access through Apple and Spotify. So just be sure to go to the website. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and you can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. 